This evening, our Old Testament passage is in Psalm 136, as we have uh, God's Word for us. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever the moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that smote Egypt and their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever, with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who smote great kings, for his mercy endureth forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. And gave their land for an heritage, for his mercy endureth forever. Even an heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. Who remembered us in our low estate. For his mercy endureth forever, and hath redeemed us from our enemies. For his mercy endureth forever, who giveth food to all flesh. For his mercy endureth forever. O oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. Our New Testament passage is... 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh 
no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And our text for the sermon this morning, or this evening, is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. This evening, as we look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, I've entitled it, Love One another. We'll sing or see three main uh, points that are really two points. We'll see first the call to love one another. Secondly, we'll see that the love is made manifest. And we'll thirdly see once again that we are to love one another. Although not on purpose, it comes uh, not too far before Valentine's Day when uh, everywhere you look in a TV, on the newspaper, on your phone, love is going to be there mentioned. Um, we uh, speak a lot of love. We sing a lot of love. And yet, I think it's good that we have a reminder of what love is. Um, I very clearly would say I love my wife. I love my daughter. And yet, if you ask me, I would probably say that I love pizza. I love this. I love that. And so the wording can get confusing, but this evening we see first that we are to love one another. Notice in verse 7, the way this starts is the word beloved. Beloved. Um, here the apostle John is writing to the church as a whole. This wasn't to a particular congregation. Uh, there were many who received this letter back then who had never met the Apostle John. And yet he had great love for the church because Christ has great love for the church. The Apostle John in his uh, ministry and his following around Christ in his earthly ministry was known as the disciple that Jesus loved. The one that Christ spent the most time with the one uh, that Christ knew best. 
out of his disciples. Here, we see that we are to love one another, and that that love results from three things. The first thing, all three being in verse 7, we see that love is from God. Love is of God. That's the first reason that we are to love one another. Why would we not want something that originates with our great God, our God who has not only created each of us and sustained us during our days, but has loved us even when we like sheep had gone astray, the Father sent the Son. Love is from God. In Matthew chapter 18, we have a parable about a man who was forgiven a very, very large sum of money. A very, very large sum. He pled and he had been in jail, but he was forgiven. Immediately, the first thing he did was to go collect the petty debts that other men owed him. He had been forgiven much, but he couldn't forgive little. In a similar way, we have been loved much. Love has been shown from us, from God, and so we are to love one another. You see, secondly, here we are to love one another because we have been born... Of God, it says in verse 7, and everyone that loveth is born of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God. The only way that we, as God's people, are able to love one another is because we've been born again. We were, of course, all uh, born once, but if we know Christ as our Savior, we are made Alive together with Him. We are born again by the power of His Spirit. In our old nature, we once hated God and hated God's people. Ephesians 2 speaks of this hatred, this enmity with God. And yet because we have been born again, we are able to not only love God, but love one another. Being given new desires, new loves, having the law of God more perfectly written on our hearts. That we would love God. That we would love one another. But we're not only to love one another because love is from God. Because we've been born of God. But we see in verse 7, it says, And knoweth. God. We love one another because we know God. Romans 1 is clear that all people know that God exists. That no one is uh, without that ability. And in fact, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so technically all know God and one sense of the word, but we get to know him personally. If you came to me and said, Will, do you know the governor? I would probably say, Oh yeah, I know the governor. And then quickly say, I don't really know him. He doesn't really know me. And we think of knowing in that way, but this is an intimate knowledge 
of God, where we were once his enemies, we now get to know him not only as our God and as a friend of God, but we've been adopted into the household of God, getting to call God the Father our Father, getting to call Christ our elder brother, getting to have the Holy Spirit within us. And so we know God. And if we know God truly, how could we not love one another? And so there's an application here that if you ask yourself, do you love the people of God? Do you love the people of God if you don't? If you have no desire to be with His church, if you don't have love for the bride of Christ, do you actually know God? And so we see that we are called to love one another. Our middle point here, and I think of it kind of as a sermon sandwich, we have the call to love one another, and in the middle we see that the love is made manifest. I'll read this Portion once again, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. This love was made manifest. We see this firstly because God is love. I think manifest is a word we don't often use. I think the only time I've used it recently is in preaching and in reading and preparing this passage. But when something is made manifest, it wasn't made instantly. Uh, something made manifest was already there and it was brought forth. And so here his love is made manifest and it's not just speaking of his love toward us, the church. But it's speaking of the love that is uh, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, when we speak about our great triune God, I always get a little nervous because my brain is yay big and God is infinite. But we know our God is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And we know that from all eternity past, they were together in perfect love, in perfect harmony, in perfect fellowship. God did not create out of loneliness, but out of His own love. This inter-Trinitarian love and Fellowship, this is what was made manifest. That despite our own sin and rebellion, this is what was revealed. How is this so? It tells us in verse 9 that it is because the Father sent the Son. We had all gone astray in our own wanderings, and yet we know in uh, most people's favorite verse in John 3.16, it's the love of the Father 
that sent the Son. It's the love of the Father that sent the Son. This is the incarnation. This is um, the beauty of God, of all eternity coming and being born of the Virgin Mary, taking on human flesh like you and like me, this wonderful miracle. And that Him living a perfect life like we cannot do Him, dying on the cross, suffering in our place. Him being dead and buried and being raised again by the power of God on the third day. Him ascending into heaven and now sitting at the right hand of the Father. It's this how the love of God was made manifest in the life the death, the resurrection of Christ. This is how the love of God has been shown to you and shown to me. Why is it? There's a lot of answers for that. But in verse 9, we have an answer we probably don't think of often. It says that we might live through him. That we might live through Him. This is at the end of John 3.16. But have everlasting life. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10. Christ says, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. This is also in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 20. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son in verse 20. And we know that the son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. That we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true even in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. As you were able to take and participate at the Lord's Supper this morning, you may be reminded of Jesus saying that he is the bread of life. In Christ is life. He proclaimed that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Our life is indeed in him. This is eternal life that we as Christians get to look forward to. Not fearing death as unbelievers or as those with uncertainty, but knowing that when we die, we will be with our Lord. It's eternal life, but it's also life more abundantly. Not in the way that maybe if you turn on your television and find a televangelist saying you'll be healthy and happy and rich, but Abundant life, knowing our God, living life fully unto Him. Not just waiting for death or waiting for His return, but knowing Him here, knowing Him now. The other answer to why this love was made manifest is in verse 10. Sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I assume that just as you 
did not use the word manifest this week, you probably didn't use the word propitiation this week. Um, it's something I haven't worked into my vocabulary, um, but it's in God's word, and so it's important that we know. Uh, a good working definition is averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift. A uh, light example of this, I, I mentioned Valentine's Day coming up. And let's say for the husbands in the room, you forget either that or you forget when your anniversary is. You forget when a birthday is, um, as we all are prone to forgetting. And maybe your wife is a little justifiably angry. Uh, you forgot what today was. Well, sometimes a gift is able to avert wrath. In a much more serious sense, we have all sinned against the holy God. Not something light, but the heaviest thing imaginable. That the God who created us says, be holy as I am holy. The God who, unlike the false teachings of Islam, doesn't weigh us on a cosmic scale of our goods and our bads. But His requirement is perfect holiness, perfect obedience, that earlier in the book of 1 John, the Apostle made very clear that no one is without sin. And if you say you are, you're calling God a liar. And so we all have sinned against God. This propitiation, this averting of the wrath of God by the offering of a gift could come only through Christ's death on the cross. God is holy. He is perfect. He is separate than us. He's apart from us, completely holy and perfect. And in order to be made right with Him, there needed to be a gift, an offering, a sacrifice, not like the gifts and offerings of the Old Testament that were done daily or annually, but a perfect offering. This is something that you and I can't do. We can't die for our own sins and satisfy the wrath of God. But Christ did. It's because He is truly God that He was able to offer the perfect sacrifice of His death. And it's because He is truly man, having taken on flesh like us, that He was able to die. Being the perfect propitiatory sacrifice on our behalf. It was the love of God that sent Christ to die in our place. It was the love that Christ had toward us, toward the Father, that He came and died in the stead of all who will come unto Him in faith and repentance. And so what should this lead us to do? What should we do with this great sacrifice that we have seen here in this passage? Well, the answer comes in verses 11 
through 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Because of this great love made manifest, we only have one option as a response. This option uh, we see here says ought. We must obey. It's a command given by God that we are to love one another. It is a Christian duty for God's people to love one another. So much so that the world would see this church, that the world would see other churches around the world and would know that they are Christ's church by their love for one another. That no matter the things that we may not have in common, we have Christ as our Savior. We're all indwelt by His Holy Spirit. And we're given this command to love one another, but it is a joy-filled command. I'm sure you have, or most of you have been a part of a church at some point in your life where there was no love for one another. And you may have attended out of an obligation, uh, not forsaking gathering together, but it was a tough duty when there is no love. It's the same we have husbands commanded to love their wives in Ephesians 5, and it's a command. Husbands must love their wives, or it is sin. But it's a sweet and good command for the good of all of us. It's the same here, this command to love all those that are of Christ. And in closing, we have two results of us loving one another. Two results of us obeying God, of seeing his love made manifest, and loving one another in response. It's not just that it's a sweet duty and it makes church a lot more enjoyable. It makes fellowship better. But firstly, we see here that God abides in us. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. If we love one another, our fellowship with God will be much sweeter. Uh, we will be nearer to God, have a more uh, comfortable communion with Him. As we love the bride of Christ, we are able to love God more. We're able to have a sweeter fellowship with our God. But not only that, but his love is perfected in us as we love one another. Um, as children, we all want to obey our earthly parents and want to make them proud. So too, we all as children of God, when we love one, one another, we want to make our God Proud. We want that sweet fellowship and we want for his love to be perfected in us, to grow in holiness. 
to grow in obedience to our God. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we thank you for your word that is precious unto 